Well, I had occasion for a, uh, you know, by European standards, kind of, uh, I would say, mid-length European road trip. We went down to Ghent or Ghent or however you want to say it in Belgium there, northern part of Belgium. Very nice town. Very picturesque when you think of sort of, uh, I don't know, low country type of uh, tall buildings and stuff. Good place. But, you know, it occurred to me as, as, as we were driving back that the, uh, you know, you may not see this when you're an American tourist in Europe too much, the highways of Europe, but like they're more or less like the American highways. I think if there is a commonality between on the either side of the Atlantic, it's, it's basically the highway system. Now, I shouldn't say system, but once you get on, the, on a highway, it's just like, it's the same thing. It's just a straight road that you drive fast on. Now, that said, I mean, it looks the same. You're kind of doing the same thing. And, and you have this feeling. I don't know if you've had this uh, when you travel, but I still have this idea that like when having been here so long, like when I'm in Europe and you're in a city, you're kind of like, oh, I'm in like the sophisticated walk around multi-use residential shop downtown I don't need a car and it's hard to drive a car. Like I'm in the sophisticated future that American liberals are always dreaming about. Right. And, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm living that, that life that we're trying to shoot for when we build out the simulacrum of the domain and all these things, right. We got some fancy stores on the bottom and apartments up top and we got multiple, uh, multiple income levels living together and we're just mixed all together like a, uh, like a tasty jambalaya or, or a paella, I guess, to be more regional. But then you just drive a little bit out of the, out of the, the city and you're like, oh, right, cars rule. And uh, <laughs> just like the whole, the whole tone of that vibe switches over to like, yes, okay, cars are actually the, the way that things work everywhere. <laughs> and, and it's totally cool. Now, that said, I wanted to do some compare and contrasting of, of, of some things. And, and maybe, maybe you, can, you can help me out with thinking of some things that I might have forgotten about about the American highways. But the things that, that stand out to me as different. And, and to be fair, here I'm talking about my most recent experience was only the, the Netherlands and the Belgian highways. But I have been on, let's see, the French, the Spanish, definitely the German, the Swiss and the Austrian, Luxembourg and Liechtenstein. <laughs> I've been on those highways. Right, I don't so know if Luxembourg and Liechtenstein. I think we could just say that a lot of Europe. I have, and I, I've also driven on the Italy, the Italian highways, okay. but I don't know if Liechtenstein and Luxembourg, I mean, they have highways. But you're not giving, whatever. I always feel like, you know, people talk about the Autobahn in Germany as being so sophisticated and advanced. When I've been oh, on yeah, it, the yeah. road has always seemed nice. It's just cars going fast is my, that's my yes. entire and, review of the Autobahn. Yeah. Really fast. That's cars. true. That's true. And, and I, I also have been on the English, though not Scottish and both, both Ireland highways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been what about the channel? Did you do the channel? No, no, I've never oh, been on that. Okay, no. 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 And and list. while I while I was not driving on the Icelandic holidays, I was driven around a lot on the Icelandic holidays <laughs> uh, highways. Anyways, so the first thing that that I notice right is is that in like now these are compared to Texas highways, which are their own sort of thing, or I, I should say Western highways in the U.S. Right, like highways up in New England have a very now I know European feel to them for the following things, which is like. In Europe, they have not perfected the sort of lifestyle of the exit ramp. Now, exit ramps are like a very like, like, so I, as is well established, I grew up in Austin and Texas. And to me, an exit ramp is like a very straightforward thing. I don't know how many feet it is, but basically like, I don't know. I mean, what's your feel, Brandon? Every 
10 minutes at least. I mean, in, in, unless you're like in West Texas where there's nothing, right? Yeah. But like, let's say every 10 or 15 minutes, maybe 30, right? Like every, every 15 or 20 minutes, you're going to have an exit ramp. Now, an exit ramp is going to be you, you get off of the highway and it's always very easy. And then you could drive for maybe like one to three minutes and get right back onto the highway, right? Like it's just, it's very straight. It's almost like if in, in the, 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 the podcast land, if you were to imagine a straight line and then you just did, you just kind of like barely pulled out a paperclip and you, you put the paperclips on the side of it, kind of like little, little rounded things on the side. It's very straightforward. And then you might have a bridge that goes over the highway at that point so that you can, you know, cross from either side and that's it. Now, of course, in, in uh, you know, up in New England, where they got like the crazy towns, sometimes the, uh, the exit ramps go get nutty. But in general, that's how exit ramps work. Now, in Europe, they're not so hot on that style of things, right? Like they're in particular, and I've done this multiple times, I think three to four times. There's when you're driving from Munich to the Munich airport, you better not miss the exit because you're going to be driving for 30 extra minutes just to turn around. Right. Which to me is mind blowing. Right. Maybe maybe it's 25 minutes, you know, whatever. But like like there's one exit if you're going from Munich to the airport and uh, like you miss it. And then I'm repeating myself, but you got to drive even more and then turn around and drive back, which just like that 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 just wouldn't happen. Now, fairness, as I recall, the Munich airport is like it's kind of far outside the city. So it's like it's kind of like there's not like that immediate next town. It's like, oh, the airport may actually be the last thing for a while. As I, that is exa- that's exactly uh-huh. the case. But but like I feel like even driving the 290 way between Austin and Houston, mm-hmm. where let's be honest, there's a bunch of fucking nothing out there, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. as as my dad would say, BFE, which I will let the listener uh, look up, uh, which is kind of not really a very nice saying nowadays, I guess. But whatever, uh, as my daughter would say, the middle of nowhere. Anyways, but even like between 290, um, between Austin and Houston, like you can generally exit when, whenever mm-hmm. you need to. Like it's, it's, it's pretty well set. So Europe, not big on exit ramps. Now, of course, once you get to an urban center, you get to exit ramps and things like that. But the, the, the exit ramp culture is definitely not the same, which, which takes some getting used to. Now, what they do have in contrast, which is kind of fascinating, and every now and then you see this in, in the States, but not much, or I don't know. If you actually, I've only seen this in one occasion, which, which, which I'll get to, but they have, I guess you could call them like dedicated gas station areas. Like, you know, in the States we have rest stops, right? And a rest stop is basically connected to a highway. And it's kind of like, you can't, you can only get to a rest stop by car on a highway. There's usually not another road that it connects to, right? It's kind of dedicated to the highway. Now, in Europe, there's a lot of gas station complexes that are exactly like that. Like they are only accessible by highway and they're just kind of like out there. Right. And now also they typically have a restaurant in them, uh, which is nice. Uh, but so that is that is the alternative. Whereas in the States, oftentimes there will because there are so many exit ramps, there'll be a major exit ramp area and there will be multiple gas stations uh, available there just like, you know, to come to come and go at which, which I think, I think is, uh, was fine. Other, other, uh, notable item, you know, my obsession is even at a gas station in the middle of nowhere, you often have to pay to use the the toilet, which is just mind boggling. Like I just, now, now what they do is they give you this little, you pay and they give you this little ticket, which then is a discount coupon for buying stuff in the store, which, you know, I commented on 
the the uh, the lack, the rarity, I should say, of self-service gas pumps. And and I think I you know someone's theory was that like you know you spend less in the store, and this little ticket thing, I think, is further evidence of that Europe still has this notion that we need to drive customers into the store to buy things. And that's going to be a source of revenue that we have, uh, which I think is just like, it's just, uh, uh, you know, I don't like it. Maybe it makes economic sense, but I think it's just false. But I did, I get the, did get the chance to stop at a self-service gas station, which was amazing. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a great deal. And then I went inside and uh, bought a Starbucks coffee at the little self-service machine. Uh, which which is pleasant, but you know I think the, the only the only other thing I think worth noting about the European highway system, with one exception, which you brought up, which we'll get to, is that I think you're supposed to actually obey the speed limits, like maybe within like five, maybe maybe ten kilometers, but like people don't really even go the maximum speed limits. It's it's a little odd, like, and so I'm always a bit confused about how fast. Wait a minute, this I mean, this cannot apply to Germany because in Germany, right? Is there? there well, is I was going to say. The, I mean, okay, that, people I was are driving say. about as fast as human, as fast as I've actually seen cars move that are right, not right, 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 racing right, right, cars. Right. Has been in Germany. Now, this is the exception I was going to get to. Now, of course, when you're in Germany on the autobahn, there are no speed limits, and and it, and it takes a little bit of getting used to at first, but then. Once you realize that the sign that you have to learn in Germany is there is a uh, there's a white sign that's a circle and then it has three black lines, kind of like like a mayor's sash going through it. And and what that means is is there are no more limits like there, it's crossed out the limits, whatever they used to be, whatever we told you it was, whether it was 80, 90 or 100. Now just you can drive. And yes, people in Germany drive hella fast. Uh, which, which uh, is, is, I mean, it's, it's a little scary at first, but then, you know, it's, it's the opposite of, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I have an obsession with speed humps in neighborhoods, like, and, and the reason is because I feel like it's a great example of self-harm, right? And so the Autobahn is the opposite of the following, right? Whenever people get worried about cars driving fast in their neighborhood, they want to put speed humps in. And then what they soon realize is that like, oh, shit, now I have to deal with these multiple times a day, right? And so like the Autobahn's the opposite of that. Like someone was like, oh, right. If I'm going to be driving on this all the time, maybe I should be able to drive really fast because, you know, it's fine. Although I've talked with Germans about it and they're always like, yeah, that's pretty fucking crazy. I don't know why we do that. <laughs> Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Tricentis. Did you know that organizations are moving workloads to the cloud at a rapid pace? with 80% of organizations having shifted to cloud-centric IT twice as fast as before the pandemic. With cloud as a key enabler for digital business, Tricentis, a leading continuous testing platform, has a new comprehensive product update to help customers accelerate cloud adoption and migration across their most critical business applications and data without disrupting running critical business operations. Tricentis is making it easier to adopt cloud-based testing solutions, develop modern cloud-native and mobile applications, and migrate existing applications to the cloud. Learn more at www.tricentis.com slash cloud migration. That's www.tricentis.com slash cloud migration. And of course, we thank Tricentis for sponsoring our show. Well, you know, 
I think we should cover it a little bit just because it's it's so laughable and everyone likes uh, likes uh, piling onto laughable things. But it looks like it looks like Twitter is not going to be acquired now, Brandon. Our beloved <laughs> Twitter thing, you know, where we used to talk about, you know, we're going to go we're going to go over here to the the barbecue joint and I'm eating a sandwich now. Has anyone ever really like looked at their hand? You know, it's it's grown up <laughs> into this thing that's like uh now some central nervous system or whatever. I guess you, this is the wrong metaphor. You wouldn't say it's a central nervous system of news. Although, would you? Because a nervous system sends things out. I don't know. Uh, you know, is, is, there, seem is there an uncentral nervous system? Is that redundant to say it's central? Um, I don't know. That would be like some kind of Bitcoin thing. Wouldn't it be some kind of autonomous? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't think... any... I think you're right that if we just had the blockchain and the human nervous system, uh, things would be. I don't know. You're reminding me of like maybe like a worm or something, like an animal or insect that can be divided and can continue on. So they're not, they're, they're built in redundancy. So I guess there must be something like that. Yeah. You've got the finger worm, I think, (laughs) uh, famously. Yep. That makes sense. Anyways, it it looks like, it looks like everyone's favorite crazy boss, Elon Musk is, is trying to pull out of buying it. And, uh, I, I, I don't know what, what uh, I mean, is there anything that uh, I mean, we're saying stuff. I always love it in the political gab fest where they're like, why are we even talking about it? And they should just be like, well, we are talking about it. So let's not <laughs> like uh, let's not like pretend like we're virtuous or something. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, is, is it is it just uh, do you have some take other than it just being crazy? Brandon? Well, my only is there, is there any other thing here? I don't know. Like there's been so many things written about it. And this is, of course, like this is the Matt Levine Super Bowl. Like if you're not reading Matt Levine's uh, coverage of this, then you're, you're not living it because I was like this. I mean, he is like, in fact, I read other newsletters that are quoting his newsletter. Like like I'm quoting him in the podcast. So I'm like he he is the 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 true source of all information on this. But the only original thought, and I don't even know because there's so many podcasts talking about it, so I'm sure someone else has, has done it, is like the only true cost, I guess, the only way to penalize Elon Musk, I think, in any meaningful way is to kind of go back to like what is the source of kind of like his power? And I think this is sort of something we've talked off and on about like, you know, valuation of companies and like in, in, in sort of multiples. So like and as we always say, like that one definition that's really simple is like evaluation of companies just really like – the numbers of the current company, the revenue of the current company times some story, right, gives you kind mm-hmm. of the valuation of it. And you can tell lots of stories. And so Elon Musk has mastered this ability. Like he has this power about like him being attached to something and his ability to kind of tell a story about it generates an enormous valuation for his companies. And mostly I'm talking about Tesla. I, I know less about SpaceX. And so... And that's really the source of his power, right? He's, at some times, he's the richest person in the world, depending on you know the day of the stock price. But that really is what drives all of his influence. And once you get to be that rich, you can kind of just do anything, right? There are kind of no rules, right? Like anything can be litigated. Any decision can be questioned. And virtually, I won't say any, but like a lot of unusual behavior um, can be justified, right? Because you're sort of like, you're mm-hmm. wrapped in this kind of story that you tell that I'm a, a mad scientist. I'm a genius. Like, you, you know, I treat people a certain way and, and you need to just get over it because I'm, I'm a genius and you have to just account for that. Right. So out of this whole Twitter thing, I just wonder, I guess to me is sort of like, has his sort of myth making ability, um, been exposed because like a long time, like many stock, uh, traders have always said like, uh, Tesla is overvalued. Not that Tesla is a bad company, just meaning that like its valuation is so high that 
it would be hard for any company to justify what this thing is going to do. Like you'd have to electrify yeah. the whole world, right? Um, but most of those people that have had that position have gotten crushed in the stock market because the, the stock continues to do really, really well. And so I guess I just wonder, that's like the, my only kind of original thought there is just like, is this kind of moment where like you kind of see behind the scenes and his behavior with Twitter, like he doesn't really seem to have a plan for like if he did own the company, how he would grow it significantly. He seems to just kind of make change his mind really quickly. His responses are probably at best like, juvenile right at worst you could say they're kind of like mm -hmm, almost like mm -hmm. you know actually actively destroying value of this asset he's trying to create and it's like and i think that's just a weird an interesting concept because i don't think he's the kind of person he's not going to be able to see like when have i gone too far when am i what am i really damaging my storytelling brand it's really and the reason you would know that is that people start to like really judge tesla and his other investments by much more traditional financial metrics and they're not going to give them like this massive valuation right they're going to say like hey we're, we really think you should be valued like ford or like you know chevrolet or something like that mm. um so that's the part i really wonder or will this just sort of like it doesn't matter he has such a big um following and so many people have bought off on the story that they'll just be like you know everything he does with twitter they'll just kind of justify and be like he was a genius he was a genius to get out of the deal and there's always like and they come up with some other grand plan no he had this plan to expose the bots and the bot you know something even more crazy i don't think any of that's true but i just think it's it's that's the other side of that so that's the part i'm looking at is like does the myth making right you know kind of like an inverse of the halo effect does he take a hit from that and if it, if he does that may affect what he does going forward what do you think yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Like, I, I guess, I guess I would think. I mean, it, it'll be easy to tell us in the coming years. But I would assume that unless that if you are some sort of like you know other large financial investing sort of entity, unless you're equally crazy, you would be like, well, I'm never going to do something with that guy because it's it's like you know genius or crazy or whatever. It's just too much risk, too much variability, and I don't know enough what's going on to uh, to get involved in it and. You know, on the other hand, it was interesting reading through the uh, the 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 people who had put up money with him to buy Twitter. I think I think your friends Andreessen Horowitz were on there, yeah, yeah, sure. and then mysterious. I don't know if it's mysteriously is the wrong word, but uh, sort of like surprisingly, Larry Ellison with one billion dollars yep, also there, yep. in there. Mm -hmm. And and it just seems like I don't know. I mean, if you're like if you're like an investment banker or like one of the big banks or like all these other people, like the next time you know, he wants to do something crazy. Like it would be, it'd be interesting to go to uh, not Matt Ray Dialio, but the other, the actual Ray Dialio and be like, so do you want to do a deal with uh, Elon? And he would probably, you know, give you some long answer, which amounted to no, right? Like <laughs> it, it, it seems like, or, or, you know, just your classic, like older, like rich people who are doing things or like you could take a, uh, you could take a, uh, a Bill Gates type. Or like, you know, all these people, like, would they, would they be interested in working with this person? Because uh, it seems a little like uh, crazy. Well, like, to your point there, I think he definitely has given permission for any type of future kind of hostile takeover, which I think we'll say this sort of, you know, if you will, unsolicited bid for a company. You know, I think Twitter was really put in an awkward position because it was sort of offered up what seemed to be a pretty rich value value and people are like and a lot of people and you know matt levine again citing him like they're just saying it's like ah elon musk doesn't seem serious but like the number was you know it's like the terms were so good and they didn't seem to have a way to like really they didn't seem to want to nor did they seem to have an easy way to kind of push back on it um so i think they 
they probably that board of directors probably felt like, ah, this is maybe not a, like getting in business with this person may not be a good idea, but we don't really have any other options. And I think now that he's done this, he has given any potential company in the future, of, you know, a hundred percent, you know, uh, validity to just blow him off to say like, you know, if he says tomorrow he walks in, I'm going to pay, you know, a hundred times what your company is worth. Um, and I want to do it. I think that company can say, it's like, you just, you know, you're not trustworthy. We can't do business with you. And, you know, we, we can't take you seriously. And I don't think, I think most investors would probably begrudgingly say, yeah, it makes sense. Whereas this last time, so he's kind of played that card. You know, I guess it may be, um, right, but to your right. point, like, I mean, he'd have to like, I think any type of getting those kind of professional investors reinvolved, I think he'd have to tell, uh, have a much stronger story about what he's going to do and how he's going to invest. And they'll have to really see, like, he'd have to win the, on the merits of the deal. Because I think he really won that funding on the merits of his storytelling this time. But I think going forward, people, at least, I don't know, if the board of directors of future companies, I think, will have a, a, a pretty easy way to say no. And I don't think people will fault them for it. So it will be interesting right, right. to see what happens. But- like, like if you look at the other businesses, what 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 has he got? He's got uh, the rocket company, car yeah, company, SpaceX, and then, Tesla, and then, uh, tunnel company, or something, yeah, and like company, and, right? And so, like, if 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 Tesla was trying to arrange like buying or some merger with like Ford or GM or Renault or all these people, they would probably be like, mm, I don't think so, right? right. Like, unless they were in like re- a really bad situation, they'd be like, this is not going to go well. Like, whatever, whatever's going to happen, not cool. Or if if like he, they wanted to buy like Boeing or Raytheon or like all these other like, you know, rock Northrop or whatever, all these like other rocket related and satellite companies. They would probably also be like, no, I'm good. We're cool. Like <laughs> we don't really uh, we don't we don't want that. And then I don't know what who who digs tunnels like Bechtel. I don't even know who tunnel diggers <laughs> we, are. We don't know whoever that is. Is, is. is Bechtel still a company? Who I don't know. Remember there was. Remember there were two contractors. This is such a long time ago that people, no one remembers. But remember during the first Gulf War, there were all these major global construction companies that were part of like the, uh, you know, the Illuminati <laughs> global squid who would go in and build like a Burger King for $5 million in, in like Iraq or something. Like, I forget the name of all these companies, but they were big. Uh, at some point, I think one of them owned Blackwater, like the mercenary company. Hmm. But I'll have to go look them up. All right. Well, listen, one final take on this because I, that I think hopefully is original, but like, I actually think most of this is setting up for like a much more interesting competition that's about to happen here. And it comes down to, uh, the Ford lightning. So for our, certainly Mm -hmm. for our international listeners, like here in the United States, pickup trucks are very popular and, and for the most part, like people drive pickup trucks, even though they don't work in construction or actually used to pick up truck. The, the reasons why is subject for a whole nother episode. Cote will be doing an hour long episode on that, but just try, just take my <laughs> word for you that like pickups are really popular. Those are like, in its, um, and they're sold and the F one fifty is sort of like an iconic American, uh, pickup. That's either the best selling or one of the best selling cars all the time. So this coming year, they're going. They have already announced, and like I guess I read an article. It was in the show notes a couple of weeks ago about the first one was delivered to an actual customer. So the first one went out. So my mm. the thing going forward, I think, is really interesting. Is like okay, if they're actually able to Ford being is actually able to deliver what is basically a very similar F one hundred and fifty, but only with an electric engine. So it isn't trying to like take on and do everything new. It's kind of the incremental version, right? If they're actually able to deliver this car at scale and price it, you know, in some reasonable range of what, you know, the current pickup trucks 
um, ship at, I think that will be like the true test of the Tesla kind of, if you will, uh, myth making. Mm. It's like if, you know, at least here in the United States, I'm just because I don't I don't know if it's going other places is like if that becomes like the truck people want to drive and that's sort of the entryway, if you will. And you can almost like, you know, it's like kind of like we talk a lot about technology, about sometimes a company starts a trend but never doesn't realize it. So it's like Tesla sort of made electric cars cool here in the United States, but maybe Ford is the one to be like, we'll deliver it at scale and we'll give you kind of an electric uh, truck that's very familiar to you, but it has all these great electron electric uh, benefits. Like to me, that'll be the real test of Tesla, right? We'll be like, because I think mm. if it starts to hold its own against Tesla, then it's kind of back to our myth making. It's like, well, then Tesla starts to just look like maybe a really good car company, but just a car company. And it's like, it's not all that unique, right? And I think that'll be the moment that you're going to see like Elon Musk really test it. Um, but of course that there's a lot of ifs in there. It's like maybe Ford doesn't deliver it at scale or maybe just like the thing just doesn't work. Um, it's not a viable competitor, but if he, if he encounters true viable uh, competition, what happens? And I'll give you one analogy I was thinking about would be, uh, TiVo versus the generic DVRs. TiVo to this day, I still think is the best DVR interface I have ever actually used. And it's funny enough, it was one of the first I actually used, uh, when mm. I first got exposed to, uh, DVRs. But for whatever reason, they just could never make it work. They could never find a business model. And, you know, all the cable companies delivered something that was not as good, but good enough. And, you know, it just, TiVo, poor TiVo, it sort of never became really, you know, if you will, what it could have become. And so, like, will Tesla be that? Will it be the company that kind of sort of popularized it? Or will it go on to become the company that really reaped the benefits? So, like, to me, that's the real competition that's setting up. And all this Twitter stuff it's just kind of a sideline to like that income, if you will, the uh, pending competition from the Ford F-150. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think there's, there's a theory in there that is the, uh, the kind of almost the inversion of the innovators dilemma, which is like, you know, for, you know, uh, uh, as you were, it, it's, it's the opposite, right? Where, where like you have a, you have a high flying, like super featureful, super expensive brand new startup entry, right? Whether it's like a Tesla, or, or uh, you know, other analogies, and then and then the the incumbents come in and they just make kind of like you know a two thirds is good thing at basically a cheaper price, like and so I, I mean, I, and and it's it's hard for the innovators to limit thing because it's not supposed to be the big companies who like come in with the the cheaper lower feature thing. I, I don't know, like there there's something. It's almost like you know, first mover gets all the glory and the uh, the slow laggards get all the cash. Is, is how, how that tends to sort out. Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Teleport. Every hack follows the same problem. First, hackers exploit a human error, like a leak key or a secret left in code. They gain a foothold and then pivot, moving from one compromised system to the next. Sound familiar? Teleport breaks this cycle. Open source Teleport gives every engineer, every piece of hardware, every application an identity. Replacing secrets like password and keys with auto-expiring, identity-based certificates, the Teleport platform reduces the opportunity for human error, increasing productivity, and revolutionizing security and compliance. Learn why the most valuable visionary businesses in the world choose Teleport at goteleport.com. And of course, we thank Teleport for sponsoring our show. Well, there's two more things I wanted to go over this week, Brandon. One, uh, I saw that some, uh, is this in Chicago some or, or some office building? You can use your uh, your Apple Wallet to get in and out of the building. 
Like, uh, I think it's required. Yeah, it's the first one. It's the first people to take advantage of basically the electronic uh, corporate ID, as far as I know. It's the first one that's, and I'm kind of jealous. I I like it. What do you think? I think, I think, I think it's the way of the future. I think that's, that's, that's what, that's what, uh, that's what it's all for. It's just these little things. And I think, I think that kind of thing is a great example of how, you know, we were talking in our, our previous segment about how, you know, there's all this flashy stuff going on and then just a boring thing comes up and uh, kind of uh, makes some money for it. But I think this is a good example of like, whenever there's like an interesting, exciting new technology, what people don't appreciate, or, or maybe people do, but like, I think the volume of benefit that you get is that when you look at some very boring, normal aspects of life and you figure out how to eliminate or make those better, right? And so like, you know, it it is kind of futuristic to think that like I can open this with my phone or whatever, or you know things like that. But if you were thinking about like I've got the internet in my pocket and we've got uh, we've got the metaverse and uh, all all these things, like just saying like, what if I told you that I could put your employee badge on your phone? You'd be like, mm, we're not choosing to invest in that at this moment. <laughs> we don't really like the team that you have. I would. And Listen, I don't speak do. for yourself. I like. <laughs> I'm. I love this stuff. I'm like, yeah. Let me. How do, where do I sign up? I want a full allocation of your uh, IPO. But go on. But I, th- I, I think, I think maybe, maybe I should start emphasizing this in my little executive dinners. Is I think, I think, perhaps the entire world of people who do things with computers. I just want to throw this out there. I suggest we take a three to five year break. And we just convert all cards over to like digital wallet stuff. Just like, let's just focus on that. Right. Like, I think, I think we can, we can get uh, McKinsey or Bain or whoever in here. And I think we can do some pretty compelling spreadsheets that it will not only give tremendous ROI on the investments, but I think it might even advance humanity. We might even have a GDP affecting uh, sort of thing. Although, does, does does GDP take into account productivity? I guess it sort of does. But I, I don't think what GDP takes into account is relaxing, right? Like GDP doesn't really <laughs> leisure, show that leisure like, time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, like if you spend money on leisure time, it takes that into account. But if it's just sort of like, and this is, there, there should be another phrase, some variant of productivity, which means productivity, but I don't work more. Right. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's not that I am able to accomplish more. And so therefore I do more and make more money. It's that now I work less. Right. But I think the economists, I think what they would say is that is then reflected in your leisure spend, right? Like you're like, Ah, maybe maybe you're like watching some streaming. So, so all of your activities, even if when you're not working, you, you're doing something and that's usually consuming some type of service or wealth yeah. or spending money on something else. Like I'm buying ice cream. I guess I'm going on true. vacation. I guess that's true. I'm traveling on my, on the autobahn, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. By, buying a G wagon or whatever. Now, <laughs> now right. my, my, my concern would be that I guess if I was, if I was in, in the economist camp, I could say that sleeping more increases GDP if it's also coupled with advertising that convinces you, you should therefore spend more money on your bed and your right. bed mattresses, sets, right? yeah, for sure. So, but you know, you don't actually need to do that. So maybe sleeping more decreases GDP. This is something <laughs> we should probably look into. Anyways, I feel I think that maybe on a three to five year global plan, if we just digitized all this stuff on the phones, 
and of course, we can have paper alternatives. That's fine. You know, it's always going to have. Right, that. gotta have some That's legacy. Cool. You always have to have your support the legacy. I'm sure the people, everyone, sort of made the joke about like, what about the Android people? Well, the Android people clearly have a still have a physical plastic card. Sure, right? I mean, sure. Or if or yeah. if you're using this whatever this wacky nothing new phone is, I know that's Android. You could use that too. <laughs> The glyphs will light up and, uh, you know, let you into an office or whatever. But I think I think we could just take a break from whatever it is we're doing and every single organization go back on Monday and just be like, all right, what's the plan? Like, what uh, what do we need to do? Do we have to work with partners or is this something we need to do ourselves? Let's uh, let's digitize. Well, it did in the press release. They put in no more badges, whatever it may be Uh, in the press release. They put in a nice little note that HID Global which is a company I've kind of followed. Anyway, they, they do a lot of physical security. Basically, they're the ones that b- build the readers, a lot of the badge readers and stuff for this. So the fact that they're involved, is that is a nice omen, right? It's sort of mm. getting the, the point-of-sale terminals involved in like Apple Pay and stuff. It's like until that group of people is on board and starts to build it into the actual you know, point-of-sale terminals, or in this case, the badge readers, it's not going to happen. So the fact that they're already on board and they're doing it, and I'm sure they're incentivized too, right? They want to... They want everyone to upgrade their badging system. So oh, sure. Got to buy feels... everything new. But let me ask you a quick question, though. It's like Apple Pay, which is kind of a little bit analogous to this. It's like, okay, I don't know how it is in Europe. So if you walk up and you're going to pay uh, electronically, right? And so here in the United States, I often am faced with the following choice. I can use my phone, my Apple Watch, or I can just take my plastic credit card and just mm. touch it. Basically, just touch it to the point of terminal, uh, do the NFC thing and have it read it. And pay. What I found is, and I listen, I say this is a, a total Apple proponent. What I found is like, it's actually the credit card is still the best because it's in my hand and I can just like oh. literally slap it right on the screen and I can just kind of like move it a little bit until it, you know, until it gives me a little buzz that I've paid. I still find yeah, that to be yeah. faster than like either the phone or the watch because the watch is always kind of like I have to flip my wrist over and it's always kind of weird, right? So so I still would right. say I'm still often, even though it's it's contactless, I still find the credit card to be the fastest way to like, if you will, do the contactless payment. So I'd like you to contrast yeah. that with what's going on in Europe. Have they figured that out? I, well, I think I think the watch is just complete bullshit. I mean, for, <laughs> it's, it's just like the whole... You know, one going down there, and I know you press the side button to get the things up. It just like it doesn't work. Like I, I, I don't know. It just like the scenario I always imagine is like, let's say it's eight thirty a.m. at uh, like like uh, you know the the King's Cross uh, station tube stop in London, and like it's full of people who are going super fast. Am I going to stop and fiddle around with my watch and like use that to get into the tube? No way. Right. Like I'm going to get run over and like some British people are going to yell at me, which is just like, you don't want that. Like it's one thing to have like Dutch and, you know, Germans and Continentals yelling at you because you can just be like, that's adorable. But like the British yelling at you, you know, you've done something wrong. Like something's something's not working out. So the watch, the watch doesn't work. Now, the credit card, I hear what you're saying, but I would have to get my wallet out and then get my credit card out and then pull it up there. Whereas like now, granted, I do have to get my phone out, but I just I feel like. Right, but that's getting like, the phone out. That's like muscle memory. That's the fastest thing you can probably right, get, right, right, exactly, and exactly. And, uh-huh. and so also at this point, and with Face ID, it's what really makes it possible. If you did have to enter your passcode in, like when you're wearing a mask, that kind of does kill the buzz there. But like, 
Yeah, like you pull it up, look at your face, and double click the thing, and then you're done, right? Like, and it's uh, well, I guess you got to answer the question there. I guess we really, I should just go look at the train station or the tube, whatever you know, where and just like watch a whole bunch of people. If people are, you know, if everyone's doing it with their, I guess you would want to do a little count of like iPhones to, uh, I guess what was it still the Oyster card? I don't know. Can you still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oyster card Uh versus uh, your your watch. And what you're saying is like less than ten percent of the people are doing watch right. right and and then also you can have a paper thing still right like if you're sure you're, but that's uh, like last resort nobody wants that like you're you're yeah clearly yeah. like something has happened something has gone and then wrong and, and then for our texas listeners who don't travel a lot they haven't experienced this but they, i don't know what they do in android land i assume it's the same but like also what you can you can set up your phone to have what they call like this transit option where like you don't all you have to do is hold your phone against the thing you don't even have to authorize it Right. Oh, so like even better, it, it, it knows. I don't know. I don't know how that works. It's like a trusted. Whatever. I get it. Though. It's like you do some type of trusted kind of connection. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And there's probably and, some and then, and then, behind the scenes. Uh-huh. And you even like set the default credit card or whatever that you use. And it just like works super fast. And so that like in that situation, like that's ultimately the fastest. Right. And uh, that that works quite well. But also like, you know, after after almost four years of using uh, like paying with my phone for everything. I mean, I, I don't really it's it's totally out of the ordinary for me to ever use a card to pay for anything like it's also just super fast like it's not i don't even think about it whereas it would be fun to pay with a watch but it's just so weird and awkward uh, <laughs> well, I think it, it would almost it... it would it would almost be better if the watch was a necklace and you just like held the necklace thing up to uh to pay with it than it being on your uh your wrist well my theory about this is hid or the point of sale terminals what they haven't done is adjusted, if you will, the placement of the reader for like the watch. Mm. It's still if if they were to like, if you will, imagine like a boom arm, like was just like at like, you know, height that it was very easy for you to just hold your wrist on. Oh it yeah, and like hit the thing. It would be a lot easier. But they're still kind of in the. It's almost. I guess it comes back to like literally signing a receipt, right? Like even though no one, I mean, most of the time you don't have to do that, but like. It's like it's like on a desk because it's anticipating you have to write. Whereas like no no, it's like I'm trying to touch it. It would actually be better if it was in front of me rather than kind of yeah, like below yeah. me. So if someone that figures that out that says like oh here's the way um, that it's actually even more conven- convenient to hold your wrist out because then you don't even have to get the phone out right. You just like you're literally it's a very natural movement almost like shaking hands, putting it out, letting it scan. And I would say like the place if you want to see this in. in uh, um, in action, go to uh, Disney and watch people use the magic bands. Oh yeah, right. The magic yeah. bands are just sort of like, you know, people scanning those things all over the place. So, so it's out there, right? I mean, it can be done, but that would, you know, again, we we need our friends at HID Global and others to be like, oh, they're gonna have to hire somebody, some ergonomics person is gonna come in and be like, no, you know, no, no, that you gotta. Fix I this. I saw. I saw I saw that Johnny Ives uh, ended his official relationship yes, with Apple. Correct. Maybe he's going to HDI because that I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you, solving this problem, it would be massive for the history of humanity, right? Like if, 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 if we just like, I mean, just think of the printing press, right? You'd just be like, so what you're telling me is you have this machine that like, you know, puts ink on a piece of paper, big fucking deal, right? Like whatever. Whereas I think it's, I think it's that scale of thing where like, so I don't have to carry around a bunch of shit in my pocket anymore. So I'm going to go one, I'm going to throw out, um, 
an example of of the potential fame that a designer could come up with. I don't know, Cote, like, is this, have you heard of uh, Norman doors? Is that something that you've been exposed to in like design without thinking? Have no. you ever heard of this? Is, is, so, is that like the Normans of old? It is just the name of the person who, um, what they did was uh, they just put, a, if you will, a plaque, right? Like a, a silver plaque on the door that you push rather than a handle. Because that that signifies to the person, like if you put a handle on it, oh, yeah. and there used to be like there are handles on you know all the doors, and it's like, and then you kind of have to pull the door, and then you be like, oh, it's a push door, right? And you just you know, it's not obvious. Oh, nice. So the the revolution, and this is gets used all the time in like design, like anytime a designer is like giving an example of great design, they'll just say something. It's like, and see, you know, the the genius is literally it's just a, like usually a silver plaque that's just literally screwed into the door. There's nothing else to it. And they, but they didn't say that that's the cognitive, um, yeah. signal yeah. push. Right. And then once you start to get used to that, then, you know, if it's a handle, it's a pull. Right. So anyway, this is an example that gets used many, many, many times. And so somebody out there could do the same thing for pavement by a watch. They're like, Oh, it's this. And they can use their own name. It could be like, Oh, it's the Cote boom or whatever it is. And it's like, Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, because I see this, I know I can pay with my watch and I know it's very natural to do it and faster. So hopefully some great designer, maybe he's on Johnny Ives team, right? Maybe he's like, uh, he's on, uh, he's just coming in he's trying to figure out how to, how to make his breakthrough. He, he, or she could work on that. That would be fantastic. I mean, it's a good reminder that someone had to invent the doorknob <laughs> at, at, at some point it did not exist. And, uh, it, 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 it had, it had to come around there. Well, so, so speaking of invention, the other thing that, you know, just to, as a slight note, we, we love, we love our, uh, monitoring and systems management. I see, I see that a company incident.io, they, uh, they, they got a, they got a boatload of funding to, uh, support basically doing incident management in Slack. Now I watched their demo. They also have a web UI where you can see the history and kind of manage incidents like troubleshooting things. And, uh, you know, I, I think the demo is pretty nice. Like, I was suspicious. I was like, what's going on here? But, like, it looks like I don't know what's going on in Slack. But it looks like there's basically a, um, whatever people call it nowadays, an SDK where you can do all sorts of workflows and screens and stuff like that. And, yeah, sure. It makes sense. An incident happens. You start up a Slack channel. And, uh, you know, you start typing stuff. You can cut and paste things. And I guess you get a record of it. Now, my only question, I don't study, I'm not an analyst anymore, so I don't study this market closely, is I thought, and I, 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 I don't say this in a disparaging way, because, you know, I'm trying not to be so cynical uh, about life and existence, even though I think it's well established that they're very warranted in being cynical about life and existence, <laughs> but I'm trying to buck a trend. Uh, I, it's, now, isn't this like what chat ops was? like five years ago, like this is, this is kind of like a, a Cote Kubernetes thing where like, I thought chat ops already did. This. Yeah, no, I think it is. I, I think the entire, like I would love to hear the, uh, the origin story because I think it's just, cause this is, and like the, the requirement side of this, or the product management side of this is like, well, turns out we built a lot of different products that kind of enabled this kind of real time communications and still everyone's just using Slack. Like no one really logs into our product. They just, yeah. like, it's kind yeah. of like the, like how email it's, I, th I would call this the equivalent of like, there are a lot of ways to do document collaboration, yet a lot of people still just send the email attachment and you just send it around and just kind of like, you know, add your initials to the end. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, so I think they're, I mean, they really are sort of like just being like, well, let's just meet the customers where they are. Everyone's just using Slack anyway. Why fight it? I, yeah, let's yeah. just throw it in there. And of course, you know, it's, it's good and bad. It's like, well, if you had a purpose built tool for this it, and everyone used it, it would be better. 
But, you know, that's also like saying, you know, if you knew, you know, it's, it's like anything. It's like, yeah, but that's a huge if. Most people don't want to learn any new tools. So it's like, let's just make it as good as we can in Slack. And that's the best we can possibly do. That seems to be almost like an admission yeah. of this company is like, we are not, people are not willing to do something different. So we just have to meet them in Slack. It, it did. I mean, the demo was only nine minutes, but it did seem well thought out and well designed. It, uh, you know, I was like, I, I wish I had an incident to solve. Maybe the incident I could solve is got to get gas for the car. But this is, and uh, I, I can document that. But it, look, it looked like it would be fun to use. It was kind of enjoyable. Like, uh, I, I, but it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, yeah, just uh, do it, do it where people are. Like, I, I had occasion, uh, and I think successfully, I've finally done it after just three months. But I had occasion to, uh, you know, requisition some new service that I needed at work. And so I got to use and I, you know, I, I have to say, I tried to also get our beloved fireside set up, but I've, I've got stuck at the security audit, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> so that it just lives in here. You and, come. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got through the privacy audit and I got through this other thing to get a new vendor onboarded. But just like I, I hit the security thing and I just that's not going to work out. So I not not because it's not secure. It's just like there's a big spreadsheet to fill out. And I, I don't I just like I don't I don't want our friend Dan to have to deal with that. Yeah. So anyways, but I was I don't even know which software it is in this chain of doing things. But at some point towards the end, right as you're about to achieve victory in the procurement game, you get sent this email. It's this weird Kafka S thing where you're approving your own request, but you get sent this email that says approve this requisition request. And there's a button in the email and you click on it and it generates another email that basically is the approval email. And it has this little comment. It has two blank lines in a comment. And it says, it says the equivalent of like, you do not need to write anything unless there's a comment. So you click on the button and all you have to do is send that email and then it kicks off the chain. And I've, this is the second time I've had occasion to do that. And I'm just like, this is perfect. This is what we have been working for all these years, right? Like we, we reached some, some apex back in a, a garden or a misty nothingness of the pre-time. And then uh, we ate an apple or we like, you know, learned about like uh, suffering or something. And uh, now we finally arrived back at enlightenment where we can just click, click something in an email, click send the email and life goes on. So uh, hopefully that's what they're working on here. Cause I think, I think that's what we want. Just low, low stress. Well, I do wonder, you know, going forward is like, is this, um, it's kind of an old product now, but Remedy, the old Remedy action request system, which started as a help desk system. And then people were like, oh, I can just start, you know, do all kinds of stuff in here. It's like, maybe this is where Slack goes, right? Inside of Salesforce is like, yeah, we just want to have all these kind of real time interactions, these little like kind of workflow based things. And uh, instead of building purpose built tools, just kind of integrate them into Slack. Of course, I think the Slack people would like that. Um, so it'd be, I don't know, it'd be fun to watch. And, you know, it seems obvious that this one's successful would be acquired by Salesforce or Slack or, you know, kind of the combination. Or just like ServiceNow or someone. It's, yeah. ServiceNow is still around, right? They, yeah. They must oh, yeah they're still, still doing well. They're still, they're kind yeah. of the, doing it. So I don't know. Incident.io. So I like the, it's a simple story though. It's like, yeah, why not just meet the users where they are in Slack? And we shall see. We shall see uh, if it works out for them. So, so here I, I've got one, one parting thought for the entrepreneurial people out there. Now they're in the demo. Uh, you're in the Slack channel and they're like, oh, and then we noticed something in our dashboard and there's a screenshot of some dashboards. You know, so you still got monitoring going on. That's fine. I don't know if it's observability or logs or monitoring. I, I didn't delve that much in to see the semantics of it. But there's some dashboard screenshot they put in there, which is fine to do that. And I would imagine, you know, 
taking a screenshot of uh, of a dashboard is a great way to uh, to do things. And I, I think the thing that we need to introduce to people, I've mentioned this several times before, is someone should come up with a service that will take a screenshot of a chart and do pixel counting so that you can get precise numbers around that <laughs> chart, which I think I think you're going to need if if this idea takes off and you're screenshotting, screenshotting, you, you definitely want to do that. If you're screenshotting a bunch of charts, you're going to want to have something you right click and uh, convert numbers to it. Well, one last thing to close out on the incident.io. When I was reading through the press release, it looks like there is uh, some venture fund. Uh, I, I don't even remember what their actual name is. It doesn't really matter because they're, they're uh, Nam Dagar, Nam Dagar, because their nickname is the, uh, the Chainsmokers. <laughs> and if you, go, if you go look at their site, it actually does say Chainsmokers. And they, I think that's the name of one of their funds. And they have some other funds that's like, you know, uh, cutting the habit and things like that. So I feel, I feel like there maybe is uh, nearing an Elon Musk uh, level of nonsense when it comes to uh, naming their funds and uh, doing things. So go look that up, go read about incident.io, find out who their, uh, some of their, their funders are, their investors, and uh, look up who these chain smokers are, kind of figure out what their deal is. See if there's someone that you might want to have invest in you uh, when you're trying to be cardless things like that. Now with that, Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy this episode? Just a few things. Uh, we'd send some stickers out this week. So I want to, uh, quickly thank our friends, uh, Bart, I think in, uh, Pennsylvania, I sent him, uh, he, he tripped me up again. It was a U.S. address, but it had another four lines. I actually thought it was wrong. I emailed him. He's like, Nope, believe it or not. Here's what it is. So, uh, uh, sent him four stickers. Glad to hear. He also recommends the terminal list on Amazon Prime. So if you're looking for something to watch, you should check that out. And I also sent stickers to Robert in Illinois. And of course, if you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Well, there's, uh, as always, conferences. We have our friends at that conference in Wisconsin. On uh, Wisconsin, I bet that's one of those words that you can tell where someone's from based on how they pronounce it. A highly regional word, word, Wisconsin versus Wisconsin? I don't know. Anyways, July 25th, there's a discount code to get 50 and $25 off, depending on what you want. Uh, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 367, you can find that. There's also DevOps Days LA happening, where Scale, as always, will be as well. And uh, I'm going to be uh, at uh, giving one of the keynote talks at... Uh, I guess you can have more than one keynote talk, but whatever. One of the, the the talks at DevOps Days Dallas, which I think is August 24th and 25th. I don't know. Go search for DevOps Days DFW and uh, you can find that. And then the week after, I'll be around VMware Explorer, which you may remember as VMworld. Uh, they renamed it. And that's going to be August 29th to September 1st. We've got our Spring One platform coming up in December and another that conference uh, in Texas there's a call for papers that's going to be January 16th. Now, I'm sure there's many other conferences out there, but those are the ones we have written down in the show notes to go over, <laughs> as I have done. Now, with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this, this episode? Well, Coach, I have a dream. I've achieved a minor dream of mine. Uh, my family, they put together I, for a variety of occasions, uh, they kind of combined and they gave me the GE Profile opal ice maker so i now have either uh you know nugget ice or pellet ice depending on what you want i now have an unlimited supply of this ice at home and i gotta say it's fantastic it's as good as i dreamed so 
I will just uh, say that I love this gift. I think it's fantastic. It was very generous of uh, the family to do it, but like it really doesn't stand up to any type of ROI analysis. It's like this thing was expensive and it's, it really, and, and I explain it to people like, especially people that don't like either don't care about nugget ice or don't have, or have never experienced or like, so it makes ice. I'm like, yeah, it does. And it's great. So, um, so if, if for some reason you feel like treating yourself to something and you are someone that loves like, uh, the nugget ice, the ice you get at Sonic here in Texas and you want to have it at home, I highly recommend the, the GE profile Opal ice machine. I have several thoughts related to this, Brandon. One, you receive this as a gift. That is, that's a fantastic gift. Very thoughtful. Two, I think, you know, you're reminding me, and I've thought about what you said here quite a lot uh, since you said it, is it's very similar to when you talk, try to talk to people about an air fry oven. They're like, can't you just use a convection oven? <laughs> right? Like, I, I feel like it's a similar thing where you're just like, hmm, I don't know if we should not talk about this further. This conversation is going to go nowhere. <laughs> And, 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 uh, third, I haven't checked recently, but I still think these are not available in Europe, which oh, is quite, sorry. I think, yeah, you, that's I think tragic. you can special order it from some company in the UK. And, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I consider sometimes bringing one of these back with me, but I'll, I'll have to think about that. I and, guess in Europe, it would probably be even more, more specialized because there's just ice in Europe is generally, I don't know. It's just a lot less. Right. So it's like, yeah, people would, yeah. I think people would probably be really confused if you saw, cause they would be like ice. They, you'd probably have to start with like why you're putting ice in your drinks over there. Yeah. So. The, the only, the only thing more scarce than ice around here are uh, napkins. And then the, the most, the most scarce thing is free ketchup. You oh. want free ketchup. You're yeah. fucked. That just like, you better bring 50 cents. Cause that's what you're going to be paying. Pay 50 cents to pee and 50 cents for ketchup. That's that's pretty much uh, the baseline there. Now, my fourth thought is that this brings to mind, like, you know, we've talked a lot about economics this episode. And I think there is there is an there there's a missing cell in every ROI spreadsheet, which is called it's a binary state. It's yes or no, zero, one, red or green. And and that column, that that cell is called I have the thing. Right. Like, and, and I, and I think, I think, you know, your ROI analysis here is, is a victim of the, the, uh, you know, uh, the lack of, I have the thing analysis, which is like, at some point, an ROI analysis no longer makes sense because you're not, you're, you've reached, you've reached an ROI cul-de-sac, right? Like what's happened is like, you no longer, you have, you no longer have purchased this good or service or investment with the expectation that you will generate more cash from it. Instead, you're just like, no, this is post ROI. This is like actually the thing that I have done all this work for and now I have achieved it, right? <laughs> and so like, even if there is no ROI on, on the, the pellet ice machine, you, you're sitting there with your big cup of pellet ice and you're like, now I have it, <laughs> right? And ROI achieved. The return on investment is possession of the thing that I desired. And uh, I, I think that is uh, often uh, not thought about. Now, you can't really apply that analysis to um, enterprise software, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's always important to, to consider that. Now, my recommendation this week is a, uh, a podcast uh, called The History of the Netherlands Podcast. I don't often listen to these types of podcasts, but I, I started listening to this one. And it's, it's very good. It's made by some Australian person who has lived here for a while. They actually did. Uh, I looked them up. Uh, uh, and they, they worked on one of the light installations for the, uh, the, the, the annual light shows they do here in, in Amsterdam. 
and it's a great podcast. It goes all the way back to the Ice Age, and uh, the person's kind of funny. Uh, uh, it's 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 a good show if you want to learn the history of it. And obviously, in listening to it, you learn a lot about uh, uh, European history as well, particularly Northern European history. But uh, you should check that out if you enjoy podcasts and Australians who sound like they smoke three packs a day, uh, kind of making little jokes about things. Boy, this person who does it, he manages to make a joke about plows uh, and things like that. So really, really good at making puns about things uh, that you would not expect. So with that, speaking of uh, uh, things you would not expect, this is the end of the episode of Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 367, or you can just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and you can join our Slack channel. Always lots going on there. We discuss things throughout the week. Uh, you can figure out how to get stickers or just browse the entire back catalog. I always recommend if you have some spare time, you should go there and download each of the 367 episodes five times each. The newer ones, it's good to download thousands of times because those are the ones that we pay more attention to. But uh, get get your friends, your kids, iPod devices, whatever it is they're using, their podcatchers, computers, just set them up to auto-download the uh, the new episodes that come out. Uh, and uh, if you want to listen to them, I, I don't really care. That doesn't matter. It's just the uh, the downloading that matters. With that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. I was going to say I was reading through the comments. I didn't mention this, but there are a lot of speed cameras. I have gotten several speeding tickets. Oh, really? Uh, which, is it, does which it go like points on your license and stuff, or is it just you have to go pay something? I, 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 I've been wondering that, but uh, I probably I, should I look into that. Yeah, yeah. I've, on, I've only gotten like two. All right. I, I think I got one in Austria and then maybe two here. No, no. It's, it, I think I've maybe only gotten one speed thing, and we've gotten a few parking tickets, which, which is to be expected. If you ima- imagine the following you open up your phone. And uh, you tap your phone on something uh, like to transfer some money. Mm-hmm. And also, no matter where you are in the world, you can not only just tap your phone to transfer money, you can also bring up your ID to prove who you are if you need to do that. Mm-hmm. But not only that, you could transfer money anywhere in the world without having to worry about it. And also, are you worried that you may be out of your region and data roaming is not available so you can't do any of this? Not a problem. It's all perfectly fine. We would just like... At that point, I think that's beyond crypto. Like that's that's the next stage. It's, after it's digital nirvana, right there. You just, I mean, it was yeah. like, I mean, I love it. I don't know if you saw it. Like I, I wasn't. You, I didn't want to wreck in uh, your stream of consciousness, but Cormac did a quite a long TikTok dance in the behind yeah, I, you. I saw it. Okay, I just I wasn't sure it. if you. could. So there was some. Uh, <laughs> it was good. It was actually quite funny, but I wasn't sure. I didn't know if you could see it or. But I felt like it was like. I think we both went into like parent mode. It's like just don't acknowledge it and go away. If, the more <laughs> if you say anything, it'll it'll go on longer. So just like that was. Uh, um, yeah, so anyway, yeah. hopefully that's okay. He seemed like he had. I don't know which one that was, but he seemed like he did it well.